0: Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning for His greatness, His holiness. Amen? So good to be with you, Eastview family. I have missed you after being gone for a couple of weeks. By the way, isn't it so great that we have some young preachers on this staff that are ready to preach when I'm gone? And they do such a great job opening the Word of God. And uh, I'm just blessed by them. And, and uh, it's good to be with you all. And uh, awesome to see uh, an online um, baptism. Here's somebody from our online campus. So, so if you're watching us online today, I want to say hi to Amber and Leroy. Leroy, Amber. Uh, Kimmy from Washington State. Jan from Arkansas. God bless you, Jan. And Sherry from Fort Myers. And all of you watching online, glad that you're here with us today. Hey, a couple of things. I just want to remind you, I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but we're doing this thing called Love McLean County. I don't know if you heard about it, but you're going to keep hearing about it because I believe the Lord is calling us to pray for every soul in this county and every place in this county to redeem for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? I hope y'all are praying. I hope the amens mean, yes, Mike, I'm praying for three people all the time, because that's what I'm doing, and I believe God's uh, starting a revival here in us and through us. Listen, I'm really excited about um, today's message. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, and we continue this series called Leading Questions. Um, But before that, I want to Give my Mother's Day wishes and happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are here. Say hello to my mom who's watching online in Indianapolis, my lovely wife Sarah who's an awesome mom, my daughters-in-law Jessica and Monica. God bless you all and all the moms. And if you're here today and you're a mom, would you just stand up? I just want to acknowledge you here today together. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. God bless you all. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you so much guys can have a seat. Uh, just go to the uh, Cafe 19. We've got a free cookie for you today. That's not true. Don't say that to them. They'll be like, what? what? Or you might just try it. I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Maybe you get a free cookie. But happy Mother's Day. I hope you uh, tell your moms that you're, uh, you're appreciative of what they do and, and all that. Well, anyway, while our moms and our mom experiences are as different as we all are, but it seems that there are phrases that all moms use. They're just like, they're just, you know, cross-cultural, cross-generations. All moms use some of these phrases. Maybe you recognize some of them, right? Um, do what? Be careful. That's what my mom says, my wife says, right? No, I'm, I'm quoting what I've heard. My mom used to say, don't you talk to me in that tone. Because moms can understand what a tone is, man. Or your moms used to say, don't roll your eyes at me, even when I'm behind their back. She can see that I'm rolling my eyes up in my head, right? There's the age-old question I think we've all heard. It's a question, who do you think you are? (laughs) Usually followed by a mister. And it's got to be said in that slow, who do you think you are? Which is crazy because from time to time, moms clearly know who we are. Michael Robert Baker. I think that's why you have a middle name. You have a middle name so when your mom's really ticked off, she can use all three, even today. My wife sometimes says, Michael Robert. That means I'm in trouble. Never get away from it, right? Um, I have learned this, and I will give you some advice. If you're young in here, um, it is a rhetorical question. You're not supposed to answer that. Who do you think I, I am? Because if you say, I think I'm your son, who do you think I am? Then you're in big trouble. Use that tone with me, sir. I've often wondered if Mary, the mother of Jesus, asked him, who do you think you are? (laughs) A little fun with moms today as we celebrate them, but moms are awesome. And this mom question actually gets us to our teaching today in in Mark chapter eight. The question, uh, who do you think you are, is not the question. The question is Jesus asking his followers, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. My prayer is that everyone here, whether you're visiting here, by the way, if you're visiting, this is a great family and we are followers of Jesus Christ and we're not perfect, but we're going to try our very best to follow him. And if you want to be a part of that, text hello to that number on your screen anytime during the service uh, and uh, we'll follow up with you. We want to get you on this path of Jesus Christ and we'd love to travel with you. Um, But today, my prayer is that all of us, no matter who you are, you've been a Christian for your whole life. You just brand new to church, maybe you don't even know who Jesus is, that today you'll answer this question, who do you think that Jesus is? Let's read it together as it played out um, 20 centuries ago. Jesus went on, verse 27, chapter 8 of Mark, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today by his holy word. God, we have read your word. It is alive. It is active. It is true. It points to Jesus, the living word, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that this will be nothing than a supernatural encounter with you. That unsuspecting souls who just maybe are tired, maybe discouraged, maybe alone, maybe fearful, that that we've come here together today to sing true words about Jesus and to hear from you. And so would you speak to us now, God? Only you can do it. I pray that you'd reach through these cameras to wherever everybody's watching online. And in this place, speak to us now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hope you know by now that this series is called Leading Questions. We came out of uh, Easter and we said there are questions that Jesus asked in his ministry to try to get his disciples to follow him better. They're leading questions because he's leading us to some conclusion. He's trying to help us answer the, the, the question in the way that will reveal who he is. And, and I want you to notice here, verse in, 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 uh, first in verse 27, that this is the Christ follower part of our vision. We are a fearless church of Christ followers. And there you have it clearly in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples. Remember, disciples is a word that means learners or pupils. And they did it not in a classroom with desk and a chalkboard. They did it by following Jesus. They're literally walking behind him. They're his disciples, and that's how they learn. But look what it says in verse 27. On the way to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus teaches us along the journey. There's not a specific path. There's not always a, a, you know, your Mondays are going to look different than my Monday, but we'll all be on the way. The word literally means on the road. And it's on the road. Let me show you where this is at. It's on the road to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And now just get your bearings here. This is the Dead Sea. Here's Jerusalem, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee. Jesus has just done a miracle in Bethsaida. And uh, now he's just saying, hey guys, come with me. This is the greatest way to understand Christianity of all. Just where are you going? Wherever Jesus goes. I'm watching him. I'm listening for him. I'm following his ways. And they go up here to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's about three inches north. (laughs) Actually, it's about 30 miles north. And may have taken them a day if they went really fast. It might have taken a couple of days. But along the way, they come through these villages. Now, what's significant about Caesarea Philippi, you might uh, remember that there's another Caesarea in the Scripture. Those of us who have been to the Holy Land, there's a Caesarea Maritima. That means Caesarea by the sea, built by Herod the Great. When Herod croaked, they split up his kingdom in four among his, uh, brother, uh, his sons. And Philip, in the north, he got this territory. So he builds another Caesarea. You know how to get a lot of money funded for a town? Tell the Caesar you're going to name it after him. So Caesarea of Philip. Caesarea Philippi is this place. And what's significant about this is the place in ancient times was called Peneus. And Peneus was a place of worship for the god Pan. You know, the half guy, half uh, goat guy? That's who they worshiped. And there's actually a cave and a grotto there that was referred to as the gates of Hades. Hold on to that because we'll get back to that in just a moment. And it's in this place as Jesus is walking that he asked this question, who do people say that I am? He's taking a popularity poll. He's getting an opinion poll of what, people have, what they've heard people say. The, the, the followers of Jesus have probably been walking with him about a year at this time. And his fame and reputation have grown. He's caused a stir in every town and village he's gone into. He's healed lots of people. He's taught a lot about God. He's challenged religious authority. And frankly, the people like Jesus. His popularity is high. But what he wants to know is, do they really know who I am? It's easy to be a, this is not even even planned. This is the Holy Spirit. It's easy to be a fan of Jesus. What you think he is, is different to follow him as Christ. And that's what is happening here as he tries to Christ to take this poll. Jesus has gone viral, but does anybody really know who he is? And they give him three wrong answers. I have to tell you that most of the time when I've preached this passage over the last 30 some years, I skip right past the three wrong answers to the right answer. Maybe you've done the same thing. He's like, don't waste 20 minutes telling me what's wrong. Give <laughs> me the right. But today I wanna to slow down and I wanna look at these three answers. Because I think there's similar impressions that you and I have of Jesus Christ even 20 centuries later. And the first one is this. I've worded it this way. The answer is John the Baptist. And I've put this. Jesus is a popular myth for weak people. The first thing that they said, who do people think they're looking around? Well, some people say John the Baptist. Oh, wow. Interesting. Why why would they say John the Baptist? Maybe you know this, but in Mark chapter 6, we've already recorded that John the Baptist is dead, that he preached against Herod. By the way, the same Herod that was now in charge of Judea, his brother Philip, uh, who made Caesarea Philippi, he stole his wife. And John the Baptist was such an outspoken, brazen kind of preacher, pastor, he said, listen, I'm not going to let you get away with sinning, even if it is the king. And so he rebuked Herod, he got thrown in prison. You guys know the story probably. Eventually, because of a rash promise he made, he was beheaded. So it's kind of funny that after a year, people are going, who's Jesus? Jesus is John the Baptist. Where does this kind of mythology come from? It may have begun with Herod himself. In verse 16 of of Mark chapter six, uh, John the Baptist is the guest by Herod. Herod goes, oh, I get it. I've messed with God. I've chopped off the head of one of God's people and now God's brought him back. And he was haunted by it and he was a very superstitious, uh, suspicious kind of guy. But here's what happens when you you mix religious and supernatural and superstitious and thrill-seeking all together, you can make yourself believe a lot of stuff. Even something as untrue as Jesus has come back in the form, or John the Baptist has come back in the form of Jesus. Guys, some people still believe that Jesus is just that. An an unbelievable, made up myth. That's the world we still live in. And uh, they, they believe because of that, that Christ followers, we are just weak people who just need something supernatural to kind of fake our way through this life. We need to believe something. We need a supernatural crutch because we're very weak people. Now, here's the thing, that's partially right. We are weak people. We do need a crutch. If you're crippled, you need a crutch. And spiritually speaking, that's who we are. We do need Jesus. But we don't need the myth about Jesus. We don't need made up stuff about Jesus. There's so much about Jesus right now in the popular opinion of our culture that is untrue because it's not based on the written word of God. It's not about the living word of God, Jesus. It's just stuff that we've made up. Take a little bit from our grandpa used to say, and a little bit of what we read and this favorite blogger of ours and something we think. And all of a sudden, it's John the Baptist come back from the dead. A popular myth for weak people, what happens as people translate that in our culture is that this leads to assumptions about those of us who follow him, that we're not that smart, that, that we don't pay, they're just a bunch of people that is bought into something that's not true, a 2,000-year-old myth or a lie. Um, and, uh, and Jesus is just this myth. We use Jesus to, to get authority or to get popularity or we use Jesus to suppress people who are not like us or to use Jesus as a political weapon. I know you can't imagine that in this culture, but it happens. And guys, here's the thing, and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you need to understand this. If Jesus is just another mythical character made up by the figment of somebody's imagination, then he's probably not worth following. But what if he's something else? Well, I can see these guys sitting around, they're going, yes, I'm hearing John the Baptist and, and somebody else say, oh, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing Elijah. That's, that's what they say here in this passage. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Why would these first century Jewish people who had never been exposed to Jesus think that he was Elijah? Well, because Elijah is the most famous person, one of the most famous Old Testament prophets. You remember his story? He did not die. He was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire in a whirlwind. So when you, in the Jewish mindset in the first century, you go, this supernatural Holy Spirit guy comes in, preaches, and is healing people is probably Elijah. This, for me, is Jesus as a religion. Because the Jewish people were going, oh, finally, 400 years. And we've said this before, but I want to remind you because I think it's important for us to understand this. You go to the very last page of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And for 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, there are no inspired words of God's. The rabbi, the rabbi, not God's, the words of God. The rabbis say nothing's inspired. there's no prophecies. For 400 years there's silence. And I want to remind you that in around 400 BC, the last words of Malachi the prophet, Malachi 4:5, here's what it says. Listen, you'll catch the clue. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So it's natural. The last thing we heard from God is, I'll send Elijah before I start stirring things up. And all of a sudden, there's this dude preaching and healing and teaching, like Jesus is teaching. They're going, that's Elijah. That's who it is. And you need to understand this. Elijah was symbolic for the Jewish people of a restoration of their religion. They're still trying to practice the rituals and the dates and, the, and, the, and going through the motions of following the laws of God. And they're hoping that if, the, if God comes back and they follow his rules better, then all of a sudden God will love him and Jesus will be the one that they're looking for. Many people still think of Jesus the same way, that Jesus is just another religion, that he came to establish a, a, a method of, of following rules so that God can love us more and we can be better people. Many people today look at Jesus and they go, yeah, he's a good dude, he's, he's an okay guy. He's one of many historically great religious teachers. He preached equality for the poor like Gandhi did. He cared about the marginalized like Gandhi. He was able to explain life through philosophy like Plato. Jesus is just as smart as Plato. Or he had wise words like Buddha or Confucius or Jesus was a revolutionary conqueror like Muhammad. And so it's really easy in our day and time to go, yeah, you know who Jesus is? He's just another Muhammad. He's just another Confucius. He's just another, you know, list them. And Jesus is a religion. And if we make Jesus a religion, there's two things that are true. And this is what we're dealing with in our culture. Number one, if Jesus is a religion, he's just option one of several. And we really can't look at anybody and say, your religion's wrong. And so we just have to look and say, "Well, I think it's Jesus. You think it's Muhammad. You think it's Confucius. You think it's somebody else." And here's the ba- the bad thing that happens when we believe all religions are the same. Then here's the end. At the end, we'll all go to heaven. We'll all reach nirvana. We'll all be in paradise. But Jesus didn't come to start a religion. If you're here today and you're wondering, "What is this few Christian church all about? What what do they really believe here?" I have to follow a bunch of rules, then I'm a good person. I have to do certain things, then I'm a good person. Nope, that's not it. Jesus didn't come to say follow more rules. If he if he would have, he would have said, I'm just here to remind you of the Ten Commandments. See you later. Go back to heaven. He came so he could be followed. He came so he could be the Christ. So he could be the Lord. I'm getting ahead of myself. But God really um, did not send Jesus to do a religion. It's something else. It's a relationship. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you determine Jesus to be just another smart guy, another religious view, then all the religions are viable options. But I want you to consider this today. What if Jesus is something other than that? There's another guest, they get back to it here. And again, I know you guys are sitting there going, can we get to the good part? We will. They're having this conversation, and I don't, when you read the Bible, you have, to, you have to expand it, and imagine in your mind what this looked like. It wasn't like, hey, who do people say that I am? And they went, Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. It's not the way it worked. They had a conversation. Maybe they were around a campfire, and finally somebody goes, man, some people think you're just one of the prophets. In fact, if you want to go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, you'll find that actually Jeremiah is specifically mentioned as one of the prophets from the Old Testament. The prophets came into the Old Testament with a word from God to give instructions for returning to Him. You may not realize this, but every time a prophet shows up, you're not following God. And God says, Listen, get your act together, repent, return to God, start following his rules, and then I will bless you. I will give you more kids, I will give you more land, I will give you more victory, I'll give you more wealth. I will give you the promises that I made to Abraham. And this is seeing Jesus as a life coach. If you do the right things in God's eyes, then your life will be fixed. If you, if you, allow, you, you guys, how many of you guys have life coaches in different areas? Maybe it's, maybe it's business, maybe it's physical, maybe it's training. How many of you guys have a trainer? Don't you hate trainers? I'll let you go to the gym and be as lazy as I want. Leave me alone. Right. All right. But we have this very vogue in vogue for us right now to have people to give us advice about different areas in our life. And sometimes we pigeonhole Jesus into this place. We come to church on a Sunday morning hoping that pastor will give us three ways to save our marriage, four ways to become successful, five ways to increase our finances. And if you follow Jesus as a life coach, then he's here simply to improve your marriage to to improve your dating life, to fix your job, to make your dreams come true, give you athletic success. I always love it when I was was in sports earlier, and now I sometimes hear people pray for God to help them win the game or to perform well in the game. Hey, y'all, God doesn't care about your game, okay? He cares about you. You pray for people not to get killed, that's one thing, that's fine. But he he, he, he is not interested in the outcome of the game. And so sometimes we make him into this magic genie. Jesus, if I love you, if I go to church, if I give a little bit, then you have to do good stuff for me. And the problem with this, of course, is that if we serve Jesus as a life coach and life falls apart or life doesn't work, guess what? Jesus doesn't work. And so it's a very dangerous view to have on him. If Jesus was just another voice among millions of teachers and coaches and leaders, then you can take him if he works, you can leave him if he doesn't. But the question that Jesus is getting to here today is this, what if Jesus is something other than that? What if Jesus is more than a myth? What if Jesus is more than just a great leader? What if Jesus is more than just another voice that you can take advice from? What if Jesus is something else? I want you to note the answers of these early Jesus followers are the popular opinion. There's another sermon in here that I can't go with, but you need to understand in our day because it's really, really prevalent. Poll numbers indicate he's one of three of these answers. But here's the reality. I hope you hear this in the sermon. Popular majority never signifies something is true. It never has, it never will. If Jesus was running for president, he'd be elected, but he'd be elected for the wrong reason to the wrong thing. So here's the deal. Jesus narrows the focus now. I love how Jesus teaches. He sets them up. He says, who do people say that I am? Well, John the Baptist or Elijah, one of the prophets. That's really not the question. The question he wants to get to for his followers then and his followers now, us, is who do you say that I am? That's cool that everybody else is saying this, but I want to know after one year of following me, who do you say that I am? Was Jesus powerful like John the Baptist and did he eventually raise from the dead? Yes. Did Jesus really fulfill the Old Testament uh, uh, religious laws of God? Yes. Did Jesus teach words of wisdom that if we follow, we'll change our lives? Yes. But he's so much more. He's more than those answers. They didn't fully understand who Jesus was until Jesus confirmed this answer. Peter of all places, here it is. The the moment you've all been waiting for, for at least 20 minutes, 20 minutes, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. That is the thing that Peter says. Peter is credited with saying this. We believe that he probably said it because that's the general consensus of, the, of all the apostles. He's just a spokesperson. You know, Peter's the first one to blurt stuff out. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. It's expanded a little bit. If you go to the Matthew sixteen sixteen confession, we call the good confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. In fact, if you remember back in October when we started studying through Mark and Peter, we started with Mark 1.1. Remember what it says? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he's the Christ that makes this story worth telling and makes him worth following. So what is a Christ? What is a Christ exactly? A Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, you can see it, and it means anointed one. It's a Greek translation of an old Hebrew word, Mashiach, that we call Messiah. Now, you guys, I'm not super smart. I'm just telling you I did some homework this week, okay? So stick with me. Mashiach is Messiah. Christos is Christ. They both mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. It means to anoint, to pour oil. Actually, the roots of both of these words mean to smear oil. So believing in Jesus as Christ is how we connect to God by faith. 1 John 5, 1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It is essential to our understanding who Jesus is. And today, if you're new, today, if you're old, today, if you've been around the Bible block, or you've been a Christian for a long time, or you don't understand Jesus at all, it's, it's really this simple. Jesus is wrapped up in this one word. That's why Peter said it. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And there are three implications that I want to spend a few moments on here the rest of our time in the word. Number one, Christ means king. Christ means king. Who, who do they anoint in the Old Testament? Who do they pour oil over the head of? Who do they refer to as the Lord's anointed? The kings, beginning with Saul, but specifically King David. Look at this up later, but you, you find in King David's history, he was anointed three times. And it was probably a little bit more dramatic than when we do healing services around here and we take some oil and the elders lay oil and put it on your forehead. That's the smearing of oil. Probably the practice in the Old Testament was dump a whole bottle of oil all over your head. And that oil uh, running down on your face and on your clothes was a symbol that God's anointing, his Holy Spirit was upon you. Jesus as the Christ means that he is the king that was promised to take the eternal throne of King David. He is the king of kings. So that's a good start. King of kings is better than John the Baptist, better than some prophet, better than just, you know, uh, Elijah. He's the king. And he's not just the king, he's the king that was promised through David who was anointed. He is the anointed one that God promised to send. Christ means king. If you're taking notes, the second thing is Christ signifies saving. Christ, by his nature as king, has come to save us. That's what kings do. They save their people. Their people get in trouble, their people get conquered, their people have an assault come against them. They save their people. Now, the reason that Jesus says this, you might have been struck in verse 30. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why? Because they had an understanding of Christ as the, as the, as the Savior that was different than what Jesus was. They expected Jesus to come and conquer the Roman oppression, Jesus to establish their nationality and fight against all their enemies around them and the surrounding nations and establish their country again. But here's what Jesus says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ because they don't get it. They think I'm something else. They want me to be a military leader, but Jesus didn't come to be a military leader. Jesus didn't come to win through politics or military force or thought mind games. Jesus came to conquer as Savior. He's the Savior, y'all. I know you need some other stuff in your life. I know you need relationship help. I know you need some money from time to time. I know that you need things to work out at work or with your family or with just your situation or with your health. I know you need lots of stuff, but what you really need saving from is from your sins. That's the thing that only Jesus can do. That's why Jesus is the Christ is the the most important thing we can say about him. That's why the angel said to Joseph when Jesus was not yet born, he said, when he's born, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You can handle a little bit more definition here. Jesus, Yeshua, means Savior. Jesus Christ, literally translated, is Savior, Anointed One. He's the King who has come to save his people. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you don't know where you are with your sins. You, you've never professed Jesus as Lord. You've never taken him as your savior. I wanna tell you today, there is a savior. If you're watching online, if you're here visiting, there is a savior who has come to take away your sins, to save you from your sins, amen? And I, again, text that number hello. It seems really weird that we say text hello, but that might be your first step to Jesus Christ. And we want him to become your savior today. And finally, the third one is Christ means Lord. Christ means king, he's overall. Christ means savior, he's the one that can save us from our sins. Christ means Lord. There's only a natural conclusion, isn't it? If Jesus is the anointed king of kings and Lord of lords and he has saved me from my sins, sins that I could never get out of on my own, what's the logical conclusion? He's Lord, say in our terms, he's the boss. He gets to say where I go and how I do it and what I do. He's like, well, that's not fair. Why does he get that right? Because he's the king who saved you. If he's not the king and he didn't save you, he's just another voice and you could take him or leave him. If he's just some made up myth, it doesn't matter. (laughs) But if Jesus is the king, and Jesus is the Savior, then there's only one logical conclusion to what I must make him in my life, and that is Lord. If you're here today and you're going, my life's a mess, give yourself to Jesus Christ and let him be Lord. Let him be the Lord of your marriage. Let him be the Lord of your finances. Let him be the Lord of your dating. Let him be the Lord of your future. Let him be the Lord of your fears. Well, I, Mike, no, time out. I'm doing that. My marriage is still hard, my fantasy is still a struggle, and I just lost my job. Still doesn't mean he's not Lord. Just think how bad it would be if he wasn't Lord. See, the, the difference is, is that we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me give you an example from a story, and probably the best confession of the Bible in John 11 comes from a woman named Mary. Jesus has come to Bethany and his good friend and Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, has has died. They're in the middle of a funeral. It doesn't get worse than that. And here's what she says in John 11. Jesus says, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Now, when you can confess that at a funeral, you can confess that anywhere. Because if he's Lord of death, if he's Lord of death and life and coming back to life and living again, then he is Lord of everything in your life. Listen, here's the reality. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you wonder what our deal is, our deal is this. We've gone our own way. We've wandered in our own direction. We've followed our own instincts. We've tried to figure out our own. And every time we do, we end up lost. But when Jesus is the focus of my life, then I follow him and everything just seems to make sense. It's because he's the Lord, he knows the way that we're going. And so today, I, I, there's no way I can preach this sermon without saying to all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus brings us back to this question over and over again so that we can affirm the answer. So if you feel it, will you repeat after me and just affirm this today? We believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he is my Lord, and he is my Savior. That's who we are. Okay, you stop now. (laughs) Mike's really awesome. Oh, no, 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 don't worry. I love you guys. You're great. But this is foundational to our life, and not just foundational to our life. It's foundational to the church. Guys, when, when Peter says these words in Matthew 16, Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Not cool kids programs, not great coffee in Cafe 19, not great preaching, not great music. I will not build my church on any of the things that a lot of us think the church is built on. He's, I'm building my church on this one foundation. that Jesus is the Christ. That's it. That's what we stand on. That's the only thing that's going to happen. By the way, I'm not going to get too theological in you. This statement can't be a special designation for Peter because within three verses, he's arguing with Jesus about what it means to be Christ. And Jesus says, get behind me. Peter's not the rock. It's just a nickname. He is not the foundation of the church. Ephesians 3.20 says Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Guys, the church is built on Jesus Christ. And remember what I said, that earlier place, Peneus, that is now Caesarea Philippi in the time of Jesus Christ, where the gates of hell are, where people worship false gods and false deities sacrifice to them. Jesus says, the gates of hell, as powerful as it looks here, as awesome as it looks here, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And that's still true 2,000 years later. There is nothing. Hey guys, COVID shocked the world, killed us all, scared us all. Guess what? COVID's gone. We're still here. The church is still here. No matter what happens, Nothing can knock us out. Jesus said, this is the foundation of my church. So in the end, the mom question we heard before, who do you think you are? And the question we've looked at today, who do you say I am? They collide. Because who you say that Jesus is determines who you are. If he's Lord and savior, then Monday will just be different for you because he's the Christ. If he's just something you do on Sundays or you're just hoping for some magic prayer to be answered today or you're just praying that you'll get some words of wisdom for your practical everyday life, then, then Jesus will fade by Monday afternoon. When your mom used to ask you, who do you think you are? I think that there is a Lord named Jesus who is the Christ, and I am a follower of his. Amen? Amen.